Wonder, curiosity, connection. Where will your adventures take you? I'm Dr. Diane, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of Adventures in Learning. So welcome to the Adventures in Learning podcast. I am so excited to invite spy master extraordinaire James Ponte to the program today. If you don't know, his incredible series, City Spies, has a new book, um, Mission Manhattan, and it's due out this week. I have to tell you, I'm not done with it yet, but it is keeping me from doing everything I'm supposed to be doing today as I'm getting ready for my trip because I cannot put this book down. So James, welcome to the show. I am so happy you're here. I am thrilled to be here and, 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 and it's an honor. It's so much fun to talk books. Well, thank you for including me on your Mission Manhattan tour. It is so much fun to be a part of this. Um, I want to start with a question I like to ask everybody. Sure. Um, tell us a little bit about your own adventures in learning. How did you get to where you are now? How did you become go from screenwriting to being the incredible popular author of these middle grade books? Well, I I did it the wrong way. I did it the back door, the side door, whatever. So um I always wanted to be a writer. I had I, I was very lucky. I, I grew up in Atlantic Beach, Florida. So a small town outside of Jacksonville, Florida. Um, public school kid and had just amazing teacher after amazing teacher growing up. Teachers who encouraged me, teachers who had extra time with me, teachers who knew from an early age that I wanted to be a writer. And I wanted, I decided, fully decided in fifth grade, and I had never once wanted anything else. And so many teachers along the way encouraged that. They, um, my problem was I was not a good reader. I struggled as a reader and it it's because I was just slow at it and other people were fast and that frustrated me that they were so much faster than me and it frustrated me in class that we would read something and I would only be halfway through and they'd be done and we'd be talking about it and so I would already have heard the end so I never bothered to go and finish and and so it was it was an odd thing I wanted to be a, a writer because I love storytelling and I love writing but I didn't think I would write books I didn't know what I would write um I really got excited about writing in fifth grade when we did a poetry lesson. And, and finally, there was something that I could finish and that I could read. And, and I had a great teacher. Mr. Prother was my fifth grade teacher, and he really encouraged me. And then uh, middle school, I had the same English teacher for all three years. His name was uh, Mr. Tyree, uh, Dale Tyree. I call him that now, I guess, as an adult. But at the time, he was Mr. Tyree. And he loved movies, and we did movies in class. And every year, I wrote the movie. And I love that. And I, and one day I went up to him and I said, Mr. Tyree, I think this is the thing for me. I think I'm going to be write scripts for either movies or plays or TV shows. And I, and I threw plays in there. I don't know why. And he said, well, write a play and we'll produce it. And, and like, you don't have to ask permission for that or anything. And so I wrote a play and we produced it. It was awful, but kids came and they laughed and they had a good time. And so I, I, my learning journey was a journey of great teachers. And then ultimately in, in high school, I had an amazing American literature teacher named Judy White. And unfortunately, she has passed away. She she never got to see that actually I did do this stuff that we talked about. But um, I love Mrs. White so much and she helped me so much that in every book I write, the name of the teacher is always Mrs. White. And so she's been in tons of books now and she's still inspiring, hopefully, people to read and write just like she did for me. 
Well, you know, and it's funny because I actually had heard of Judy White, um, not through your books, but because one of my dear friends who introduced my husband to me is Jay Coles, who you went to school with. Yes. Amazing. So, it's yes. such a small world. So, so, so <laughs> we're veering off the interest path of most people. But yeah, so, so yeah, Jay, Jay and I both had Jay. Jay's a good friend of mine in high school. and um, she was just great and she pushed us you know what was so amazing about this and my wife is a teacher and i remind her of this all the time which is growing up a lot of times kids their favorite teacher is the fun young let you get right. away with the teacher but when you're 25 30 35 the favorite teacher is the one who was not who was pushing you and hard on you and, and the advantage for me was that even at the time, I knew she was my favorite teacher. You know, she was so much harder. My, I, I got the worst grades I got in her class, and I still was thrilled because I got I got an A one nine weeks, and that was like an A in Judy White's class was the greatest achievement of my life up until I made the New York Times bestseller list. I, like they're they're side by side for me, um, and so yeah, so I went on and I became a, um, I, I majored in screenwriting in college and I became a television writer and I started in kids TV and it was about working in kids TV. We had a tie in book and, and, and as an adult, I just accepted, you know, you're a slow reader, but you like to read. And so I was reading and I was reading books, not my wife reads nonstop and incredibly fast. So it's still frustrating. And so I did a kid's tie in book to one of the shows and I fell in love with the idea of writing books. And, and so it has been ever since on the arc back to, being a kid's book writer and now that's all i do and i love it one thousand percent it's amazing well and you have that rare gift of really being able to write in the voice of that middle grade child um when i read you it feels authentic it feels like you have really put a lot of thought into the culture of each of your characters and I love the fact that your books are diverse in terms of the characters who embody them as well. How do you do that? What What's the preparation? Well, you know, I, I was fortunate in, um, I grew up in, in the town group, it's, it's a beach town, and, and it was it was a very diverse town. And we had, you know, because, and, and diverse, not just with race, but diverse with, we had country clubs there, so there was people with wealth, and we had, um like people who worked in the boardwalk, you know, and we had, you know, the Navy base there and we had a lot of people of all different races that. And so I grew up in a pretty nice mix of students and it's just always how I've seen stories. You know, the story, you know, you start with these are stories in a way based on your youth or your interaction with people when you were a kid. And so diversity but not forced diversity is always a thing that that I want. And and I say not forced because anyone could do like a, a Benetton ad and like, well, let's add this and let's add this and let's have someone of this and who thinks that. But for me, the key has to be coming up with a plot that naturally integrates people who are different. So it starts at that point. And so with City Spies, City Spies is a story about, you know, this guy who was searching the world. He's a spy. His wife was a spy. And there was something happened. We don't know what, but she left with the kids and he's searching for his kids. And in the search for his kids, he finds other kids that he can't turn his back on. So they're from all over naturally in the plot. So, of course, there's going to be diversity as far as them, their voice. 
the advantage of having spent a sizable part of my career in education, writing screenplays and scripts, is that it's mostly about dialogue. You're constantly writing dialogue and, and you're having actors perform it and you hear when it's not true. And you it, it, it plays when it's not true. So I think that was an advantage. There are a number of people who I really admire in the middle grade writing, young adult writing space, who started actually as script writers. You know, off the top of my head, Stu Gibbs. Um, Gordon Corman was a, was a novelist in middle school. He already got a public, but he majored in film at NYU. Suzanne Collins, who was a dear friend of mine and who we worked together at Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. You know, all tons of people. And I think it's because we write dialogue so much and we wrote kids' dialogue so much that it's a natural progression for us to write it in books. Well, and it definitely comes across as authentic and true, and it's a delight to read. Oh, well, I appreciate that. That's very nice of you to say. And I noticed with City Spies, as I told you, I'm still working my way through it, but I've gone through Venice and I found myself thinking, did you um, did you get to go to Venice to do the research? Yeah, no, we, I, every, every, books, so this is the fifth book in the series. Books three and four were written during COVID. So research for those books was harder and it was remote. All the other books, I try to go to all the places. Everything in City Spies 5, I walked, I literally walked where they walked. So, like, I mapped out where they were going because I had done the first draft and I went to Venice and I went to all the places they went and the church they go into and hide in and the this and the that. And, and, and then I went back and I changed it to, to make it go. My, my wife loves when I set stories in places like Venice and Rome and Paris, because then she gets to go and we get to reasons. <laughs> you know, people will say, oh, you should do it like in the jungles. I said, no, 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 no. It's, why don't we do Barcelona next? Or why don't we go, you know, why don't you do that? So no, I went I went to Venice. I went to all the places. Um, it, it, from that, it goes, um, the other big stops are at um, Washington, D.C. and New York City. In Washington, I visited all the locations. One that I just think is fascinating, which is the Iranian embassy in Washington, D.C., which is fascinating because it's been abandoned since 1981. Oh, wow. It's technically the way that the um, Vienna Convention is written. It's owned by Iran, but no one from Iran can go there. So no one can do anything with the property. And so it's this abandoned building. And so... Um, I met up with a friend, Hannah Khan, who's a writer who lives in the D.C. area. And we were driving around. And, and so I, I, I went there on my own because I didn't want to get I, I thought I might get arrested. I don't know. And I and I walked up and I walked all around the abandoned embassy taking pictures, wondering, well, I don't know who's watching me. And if they're in <laughs> Tehran, I probably can get away before they can get someone here to say, get off our property. But no, I, I try to research everything in New York. It, the, a lot of the finale takes place at the New York Public Library. And for my that, favorite place. Oh, it's amazing. And and so I got a behind the scenes tour with my editor and my wife, because those are the two people who read the manuscripts as I'm working on it. And we got, you know, it, we try to research. I try to research for a number of reasons. Partly it's because I want to be accurate. Partly it's because I, I want to use real places because books, the, the books that did hit for me as a kid. That was one of the things. Like my all-time favorite book is from the Mixed Up Files, and this is basically Frank Weiler. Great book. Which is set in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And the fact that it was a real place, like I could go to New York and I could see 
this thing that they're talking about. So I, I want that. But also what I want is by researching in person and, and, and really seeing the places, you get a sensory, you, you, what does it smell like? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? But also you get a sense of new things you would never have known that inspire ideas or come and a little detail makes it, I think, jump off the page. You know, an example that I like to, to give, and I, and I don't know that it does per se in this book, make it, but that fascinated me was that at the New York Public Library, the stacks that are not visible to the public, which is seven stories of bookcases, are empty. There are no books there anymore. The books are now kept underground in a special climate-controlled environment. Wow. The bookcases can't be moved because the bookcases are what hold the building up. And it's like, because when they built it, they never, they thought we'll do both things at once. We'll build bookcases and we'll build the support beams. And that way it'll save us the trouble. So even though they cleared them off of all the books, they can't get rid of the bookcases or put anything else in that spot because then the building would collapse. And I thought I would never have made that up. No. Oh, wow. And and if you go there, which is really fun and look at them, you see they're actually cut into the ground because really they're seven stories of steel turned into bookcases. And so the floor goes right up to them, but there's like this little ray of light comes through the seam. And so, oh, I could pass a note down there or I could sneak around down there. So going is, first of all, incredibly fun. And second of all, it really, I think, elevates the manuscript, or at least I hope it does. If If I do my job right, it does. So where is your very favorite place that you have gotten to research for one of your books? Mm. Well, Venice was fantastic. So that was a great overall city to go to. The New York Public Library was fantastic. You know, for me, probably the, the best kind of moment was when I was writing a series called Frame. Um, and the Frame series, the third series, the third episode actually it was yeah it was trapped took place partly at the library of congress again the library i love libraries yes so i went to the library of congress with my wife because again we travel together you know whenever we can and and so we're there and i wanted to go into a room and take pictures so that i could accurately describe this room in the manuscript and they said well we have a thing set up for you. I'm like, okay. And my wife is an American history teacher. They take us into the room and they start taking out treasures of the library of Congress, just for the two of us. You know, they showed us here's part of a Gutenberg Bible. Here is literally the first book printed in America. Then it got to a copy of the Federalist papers that had notations from Thomas Jefferson that had been a gift from Alexander Hamilton to Eliza Hamilton, who then gave it to Thomas Jefferson. And they've all written in this. And my wife is touching these things and holding these things. And then the last thing, and because I knew it was in the library and I saw the box and I got excited. And my wife is going to freak out in a moment. The contents of Abraham Lincoln's pockets the day he was killed at Ford's Theater. Oh my goodness. And they just open this thing and it's like, that's his handkerchief. It's right here. And f- to take your wife, who's an American history teacher, on this journey, that day is hard. It was the day before Thanksgiving. It's like that day was hard to top. So that was a great research day, although Venice came pretty close to topping that as well. And do you have places you haven't been yet that you're dreaming of setting stories well, in? Yeah, all, always. In um, 
always looking for new places. Yeah, the, the place that I would love to go and I cannot go is MI6 headquarters in London. You know, I just don't think they let you in there. Um, I'm going to London probably in the next year. So I may send a letter and, and see what happens. I was close to getting to the FBI when I was working on Frame because the FBI was part of it. Um, and then that fell through. Um, my, I have a really good friend named Stu Gibbs who writes Spy School. And Stu has finally now gotten someone at the CIA. He's going to pass them off to me. So I might get into the CIA, their secret museum. Or their, their, it's not a secret museum. It's a museum on their property that's hard to get to. So some of those places are fun because... I, I don't just research the places I research spycraft and the history of spies and, and things. And, and that is fascinating to me. You know, I, um, one of my s secret advisors is the former deputy director of the CIA, which is pretty cool. He, he helps me out with research because his wife is a school librarian. <laughs> so she, she put us together. So yeah, I have plenty of places um plenty of places that i want to go that's a, a great thing about the city spies because they go anywhere around the world um i have a feeling tokyo might be in, in that that's a totally new adventure for me i've never been closer than california so it'll it very be there. cool you might get all seven continents before you're done i i you know i Long flights, though, do get to me. That's why I haven't made it to Tokyo yet. So I, I, I would love to go to Australia, but I think I would have to be rendered unconscious and then, like, shipped there and then woken up. So maybe, maybe all seven. My, my son's getting closer than I am. He's, a, he's more of a world traveler than me. Well, I'm heading to Australia next week, so I'll let you know how that flight goes. Have a fantastic time. And do research for me. Where are you going? What cities? Um, we are going to, we're, we're starting in Auckland in New Zealand, and then yep. we'll be in Sydney and Melbourne and Cairns. Wow. What a great trip. So, yeah, I'm doing some research for some stuff that I'm doing. I'm so excited to get to snorkel on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and that it's actually connects to something I noticed in this book. You really talked and embraced the environmental themes that are topmost for kids today. Where did that come from? You know, it's funny. It's it's also the key. Po oh, I have a new series coming out this year called The Sherlock Society. It comes out in September. And it is also have strong environmental themes. Um, part of it is, like I said earlier, I grew up at the beach. And when you grow up at the ocean, along the ocean, you know, there's a lot more of your education. We had like a lot of education about the ocean. This is back a while, you know, we had to learn how to identify all the shells and all the different fish and learn about sharks and about dolphins and about all this stuff. So it was always the thing that I was really interested in. And now living in Florida, it's a place where environmental stuff is always an issue because it's such a unique environment in places like the Everglades, but construction in Florida is always so much, this this hard balance. So, from my life, it was something I was always interested in, but I, I really think that it's something that young people are interested in and something that they can relate to and feel passionate about much more than any other what you might call think of as a political issue. You know, kids aren't going to get interested in gerrymandering or they're not going to get interested in taxation. It's, a, it's an intellectually distant concept, but the environment is something not only that they know, but if you look around the world, it is something where young people are often in the forefront of environmental activism. 
And that, I think, is the thing that fascinated me the most. So for this book, um, City Spies, Mission Manhattan, the storyline involves an environmental activist from Brazil who's a rainforest activist who they have to protect. The idea of the city spies is these kids who are spies for MI6, but what they do is they go places where adults would stand out. And so being kind of a protector for this teenage environmentalist made more sense, especially because one of our kids is from Brazil. And so he speaks the language and they're the same age and culturally they can connect. And so that was part of it. But in researching for that, you know, I think Greta Thunberg is so well known. But if you look, you will see there are a dozen or more teen activists who are hugely involved and influential in what's going on. And it was that research that really solidified for me that this is the kind of character that I want to do. I want I want to talk about this because also what's great about it is in talking about environment, that's a place where young people can also make an impact, even in their home, even in their what they choose to do. You know, my my son works in the business of zoos and aquariums. He's an educator. Wow. And as a kid, as they're like, he would get us on stuff. We need to stop using this. Or we need to do that. And and these things that he impacted our family, which times 10 times a thousand times it makes a difference. Absolutely. So, so for me, it was, I, I just thought it was a thing that kids really can embrace, can understand and get into. It was also really fun to research. I, I ended up having a, I think he was on a satellite phone in the middle of Amazon, a, a national geographic scientist who was a friend of a friend. And, and I said, you know, these are the things I want to know about the realistic part of what you deal with, you know, and, and, the hard parts and the good parts and the victories and and on top of that him being in brazil and 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 from brazil he, he talked to us specifically about the movements in brazil so it, it was it's fun to write about and i think kids really engage with the topic well and i loved the fact that you were making that central to the book because i found it compelling and i think there are lots of grown-ups who like to read middle grade novels as well and so maybe you'll reach some of the grown-ups too. My, my 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 mail seems to indicate that you're not alone in thinking that. They the a number it always starts with, I know I'm not your intended audience, but I read these books too, and everyone is the intended audience. It's just that it's appropriate for, for kids, which not everything is, you know, education-wise, word right, right. But but even that, the, the books are pretty complex. I, I I don't I don't do watered down spy novels for kids. And I'm amazed at how well kids follow the plots and and the all the espionage components of the books they totally get into. So it's fun. Are you tired of same old, same old professional development experiences? Check out what recent workshop participants have to say about doing a workshop with Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning. Great hands-on session that included real ideas to incorporate in the classroom. Wonderful. Lots of great ideas and fun science experiments. It was great to be able to see how to make connections between the stories and science. If you are looking to raise your game and have a professional development experience that will leave your educators feeling rejuvenated and ready to directly apply ideas into their classrooms, reach out to Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning. 
We offer half and full day workshops that examine ways to build connections between multicultural picture books and STEM STEAM experiences for gains across the curriculum. All programs can be tailored to your specific needs, so find out what audiences across the country have been experiencing. Check out Dr. Diane's Adventures in Learning at www.drdianeadventures.com. We hope to be in your school soon. So which of the city kids are you or are you most like? Okay, so this this is a tricky thing. This this is uh, kids often ask me about this. So I can't have a favorite. If I had a favorite, I think it would unbalance. You have five kids, and actually in this story, we get to six. So we have six kids who are part of this team. And what I found in meeting young readers all over the country is that all of those kids have the equal number of readers who they're their favorite person. You know, I thought maybe, okay, the American will be the most favorite because American kids will no, I go to a room and I ask and it's one fifth, one fifth, one fifth, hands go up. If I had a favorite kid, I would favor the plots to them and that would disrupt the balance. But also I would be doing a disservice. So what what I did actually is I thought hard about the problems I had in middle school, which were plenty, as any middle schooler has. And I gave I took my five biggest issues and I gave each of them to one of the characters. So each of them has at their heart a core, like, this was a struggle for me growing up. How Worrying about letting people down. Connections with family members who I never met or got to see. All these things. And I would plug them into that. So all of the kids are part of me. All of the kids are way cooler and way more skillful than I am as an adult, much less than I was as, as a 12 to 14-year-old, 15-year-old. But um, so I, I try not to have a favorite. The, the character who I most identify with is mother, who is the um, father figure, actually becomes the father because he adopts all the kids. Um, and that is he because I'm a father and that's first and foremost what I am. And so he's the one I feel for because he's trying to do this thing, which is he's trying to be a good spy and save the world and save the United Kingdom. But he also wants to be a good parent. And sometimes those are in direct com- conflict with each other. That makes total sense. Now, with all the cool gadgets that you've written about, um, is there one that if you could have it in everyday life, you would want? Ooh, ooh. Well, I want to say this. First of all, there are gadgets throughout. I always love that in James Bond movies. But I do them less than I think people would expect. And that's partly is the message that I want to get across is that just like superhero movies are great, but superhero movies are all built on the idea that, well, if you have this one superpower, then you can do things. I wanted the kids in my books to have the power of being teamwork, intelligence, Mm -hmm. empathy, caring. So I want the solutions to be that. I also worry that high tech stuff, can really seem dated really quickly. So in a lot of places, what I found and why I do a lot of research about early spydom, or at least the early stages of MI6 and CIA, is analog is a lot more fun. So it's it's much more fun to write a code than it is just to have a computer that translates something for you. 
Um, and so I, I try towards that. If I, they, they, they have really good tracker communicators and I would like that. I would like to be able to at any time know where my son is, where my wife is, where, <laughs> without having to call and seem like a nosy parent, you know, the, 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 the worried parent me. I would like to be able to track people easy. And I know phones can do that, but I don't secretly track them by their phone. Right. Like, um, but the communication device, they, they, they sometimes use a communication device where they, where they talk to each other without being overt. And that would be cool to have for sure. Well, and I love games like Hawks and Sparrows and the different ways uh-huh. that you have the kids really have to connect and work together. And it is low tech, like they're getting down to the nitty gritty of creative problem solving and having to think 10 steps ahead. And I think that that's really cool. One of the reasons I like to write about spies, and, and, and this is a key component of the books to me, is I feel like being a spy is the closest job there is to being a 12-year-old. And by that, I mean, it, when you're 12, you are trying to gather intelligence. You are often trying to blend in in a place where you don't blend in. You are looking for these signals and signs that people use for coolness or hipness or whatever where you don't. And sometimes you even take on different identities and try them out. Spying and kid like stuff are very similar how you get you know you know there's a line in one of the books it's like being a spy isn't like being in a james bond movie it's like being in a middle school cafeteria and that's really what it is you're trying to navigate all this stuff and so hawks and sparrows is the game i came up with for them to train how to how to follow someone how to work in a team and it's just much more fun to me to have that because i know just from talking to kids that some kids will play hawks and sparrows now I know that they'll they'll try it out, and I love that. That is like the ultimate compliment to me as a writer is when I meet kids who say, "Oh, I did this thing." That the the biggest example of that in my writing is in the book Framed, which is kind of like a Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson pair of friends in Washington. But I always thought Sherlock Holmes cheated. As, as a writer, because it's like, well, he knows too much. Like, well, there's that tobacco, and that tobacco only comes from Afghanistan. So it's like, no one knows that. And I know that's the plot, but I don't want kids to feel distant. So I came up with a thing called toast, which is the theory of all small things. And the way they solve mysteries is by using toast. They use the theory of all small things, which is that if you add up all the little details, that leads you to the truth, where big things are often used to lie. And it's the thing I just came up with. And everyone, every kid I've ever met who read that book, and thankfully there have been a lot, so that's good. Um, they use to- they try it out. They use toast. Even the kids in my neighborhood, it's so funny. I moved into this house um, about four years ago. And I, there's these three girls down the street who are amazing young readers, and they read everything I write before anyone in the real world gets to read what I write. And they not knowing it was me, but they had read frame and they had used toast to try to figure out who just moved into the house. I love it. It was that thing that I invented to try to figure out who I was, was like, wow. Okay. That's pretty fun. What an incredible moment. And go with it. And it's really important. I found for kids, if you name it, if I had just done the theory of all small things, 
they would have read it and it would have been okay. But by calling it toast, something that you can do or talk about, or by instead of saying, all right, you guys are going to try to, you guys are going to try to evade these people. It would have been fine, but he's saying, we're going to play hawks and sparrows. Hawks hunt sparrows. Sparrows try to elude hawks. Well, now it's like, well, now we have a name and now we have a thing. That's partly, I think, um, I used to, I worked for a while at Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. And all the games, like we would, like half the fun of coming up with games and things for Nickelodeon was naming them. And it's like, when, once they're named, then kids can get into it. So I hope that's the case in writing. So what are your hopes for um, 2024 in terms of your writing? What are you working on now? Well, it's, it's it, an interesting year. So the writer's public life is always a year behind their working life. So, you know, the books that come out this year were the things I did last year. So last year, I wrote two books to come out this year. So it was really difficult last year. And it's difficult this year because I'm doing it again. But it's exciting to me that two books will come out. So in February, I have um, City Spies Mission Manhattan coming out. It's the fifth book in the City Spies series. Um, A lot of people wonder if it's the last book because there are five characters and each character has been the lead in one of the books. It's not. There's going to be at least eight. So that's the first thing to you know, people that like City Spies, don't worry, it'll be around for a while. Um, but the new series, The Sherlock Society, is a mystery series set in Florida. It's got an environmental component to it. And that's the first new thing I've done in four years, you know, where it's it's an all-new set of characters. And so I'm anxious and a little nervous and all the things that go with that of that book coming out this fall. That's exciting. And I can't wait to read that one. And this year, writing-wise, I am writing Cities by Six and Sherlock Society too. So it, it, going back and then you stop every now and then for a tour for the new book or for research or something like that. So in the research, the research for Sherlock Society was so much fun. Um, it's all over Miami. So it's easy for me to drive to. That part's good. But um, it starts off with a rescue in Key game by the, um, the Marine Patrol. And so I just called the Marine Patrol to ask if I could just come look at their office and they took me and another writer friend, Christina Diaz Gonzalez. They took us out on the, the new SWAT boat and raced around the bay. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it was like, this is what we do. We want you to get it right. Because what's great about that, what's, what's, what's wonderful about writing kids' books is when I reach out to somebody about, I'm writing a kids' book and I want to make sure that I accurately portray the thing that you do. They want kids to know, they want kids to understand. So, you know, for City of the Dead, I called the foremost leading Egyptologist in the country. And within 30 minutes, she wrote back saying, hey, let's get together. Let's talk about this. You know, um, no one says no, which is great. And it's really fun to me because I get to kind of live out the adventures the kids do without risking my life or without having someone like wanting to hurt me or anything. So it's a lot more fun on the writer side. Well, and I think that as writers, um, to be a writer, to be a teacher, you really are coming from that place of innate curiosity. It's that wonder and discovery that we want the kids to happen to have. And if we can't model that, we're not doing our jobs. You know, I I used to produce a travel, a couple of times I produced travel shows, once for the history channel, once for the golf channel of all places. And I, we've traveled all over the country to Europe. And with the show, I would tell the crew, this is how we're going to make this. We are going, I'm going to arrange the schedule so that we do the things. We don't just show the things that we do them. And I want us to have fun on these trips. We have to work hard. We've got to do our job right. 
But if we have fun making this, that fun will come out in the show and it will make people want to go to the places. And I really felt like that was true. And I feel like it's true in the books. I need to have, I want to have fun because spy books are fun. Mystery books are fun. And I want to have fun in the making of them, not just because it's enjoyable, but because I want that to come through on the page. I don't want it to be an intellectual experience only. I, you know, I want kids to think, but I want kids to realize that, oh, that's not exclusive from enjoying each other and being a good friend and solving the problems. Because if we can solve little problems, then we can solve big problems. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, James Ponte, for sharing your time with us today. And folks, you have to go check out City Spies. It is such a great series. And I want you guys to go get this book. I want you to check it out and let us know what you think. James, thank you for joining me on the show. It was so much fun to talk to you today. Thank you. You have a you have a great day. And everyone, you know, I do hope that you like City Spies. But if you don't, don't worry. There are plenty of books out there. Just don't be like young me. Find the books that speak to you and just get lost in the adventure. Absolutely. You've been listening to the Adventures in Learning podcast with your host, Dr. Diane. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, download, and let us know what you think, and please tell a friend. If you want the full show notes and the pictures, please go to drdianeadventures.com. We look forward to you joining us on our next adventure.